Well, hey, New City, I hope you're doing well, or at least as well as you can be given the situation we're in this Sunday. Uh, this Sunday, we're actually excited to be kicking off our brand new series, What Would Jesus Undo? Uh, but given the circumstances, we're going to not do that today and talk instead about the hope that we have in Christ in the midst of really uncertain times. And as I begin, I just want to say this, if you or someone you know needs help in any way, maybe you need help or they need help getting errands run or a, a, a grocery shopping visit because they can't or they're afraid of getting out of the house, uh, please let us know. The easiest thing might be simply for you to email me at dylandotson at newcityrdu.com and we will find somebody to help you out any way we can. Uh, as I begin this morning, as we, you know, given the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, I'm reminded of something that happened to me uh, about 11, 10, 11 years ago. And if you call it New City Church Home, many of you are familiar with my story and how I lost my dad when I was 19 years old. And to make a long story short, I remember the day that we found out about everything that was going on. Basically, I was about an hour and a half away from home where I grew up. Uh, I was with some friends. I didn't have a car. Basically, I had some people calling me, said, hey, Dylan, something has happened to your dad. Uh, and uh, we're not quite sure. And so I was calling people. And long story short, I had a friend come and pick me up. Uh, as I get into his car, I call my older brother and say, hey, Jordan, do you know what's going on? He says, I'm not sure yet. I'm at a gas station and I'll call you as soon as I get home. Uh, and so after we hung up that phone call, as I'm sitting in my friend's car driving me back, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Dylan, I'm really sorry, but your dad was pronounced dead in the hospital this morning. And what was in really interesting to me is I think back to that moment, you know, the emotions, the difficulties, the pain, the tears, everything. In some strange way, or maybe not a strange way, but in some way that I've, I've never really been able to articulate, as soon as I heard that news uh, that my dad was dead, you know, difficulties, crying, in that same moment, I just felt the Spirit of God saying, it's okay, and you're going to be okay. It's okay, and you're going to be okay. It's one of the rare times in my life that I've actually felt uh, that God was kind of saying something to me. And so we're driving home. It's about an hour and a half drive, or maybe a little bit less, because he was getting me home as quickly as he could. And the whole time, crying, sad, in shock, and awe, kind of numb to the news that I just heard, feeling this uh, sense of God saying, it's okay, and you're going to be okay. And regardless of where we find ourselves in a week or a month with the coronavirus and everything that's happening, in some ways I'm re I reflect back to that moment thinking in the midst of extreme unknown, not sure what's going to happen, not sure how we are going to be impacted by it. God is up, up in heaven saying, it's okay, you're going to be okay, because at the end of the day, God is not surprised by the coronavirus, nor is God afraid or scared of it. He is still king, he is still in charge, and he is still over everything. And so in the midst of worries and uncertainties, we can have that hope and we can trust in him no matter what may happen. And so what I want to do is I want to spend a few minutes going over some passages, especially for those of us that are followers of Christ, to hopefully encourage us as we face some uncertain times ahead. Uh, the first is in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy is written by this guy named Paul, and he's writing this letter to his younger apprentice, if you will, a younger pastor uh, who's kind of just starting out his ministry, and he's encouraging him of what does it look like to be faithful in the midst of uncertain and difficult times. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 3 through 7, he begins his letter by saying this. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am convinced, lives in you also. Verse 6, Therefore, 
I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then he says this powerful verse in verse 7. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Now, Timothy, like the rest of the early church, was experiencing persecution, hardships, beatings, jailings, and some of them even death. And Paul is saying, in the midst of these difficulties of what is happening, you and I don't have to be afraid. We don't have to retreat because we know who is king and we know awaits us even if, even if death in this life is to come soon as it, might, as it did for many of the early Christians. They could still have courage because they know who wins and they know whose they are. It's interesting to me when he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, the word he uses there is the Greek word is dahlia. So the Greek word there for fear that we've translated fear is dahlia. And it literally means one who flees from battle. And it has a strong sense of cowardice in this word, in this, this idea or of this word of dahlia. So what he's saying is that God has not given us this fear. We don't, we don't need to run from battle. We don't need to run from difficulties. We don't need to be afraid when hard things happen. And it's interesting because this is not what God gives us. Now, now, now as we think about it, who is it that typically flees from battle? Losers, right? Losers are the ones who flee from battle. Why? Because they're losing. They don't want to die. They don't want to be the next victim. And so as fast as they can, they get out of there because they're afraid. Uh, they're scared and they know bad things might be awaiting them. Now, I don't know about you if you've read scripture lately, but here's what we know. We don't lose. Followers of Jesus in the end do not lose, which means that you and I do not have to retreat, do not have to live in fear, do not have to live afraid, no matter what may happen, because you and I are on the winning team. Now, what's interesting, and I, and I don't mean to be uh, dramatic or fire and brimstone or anything like that, but if you were in Christ, although that we can certainly, it's human nature to be worried, to have anxiety about what's going on, we have this confidence of we know whose we are and we know that we are on the winning team. However, if you are not in Christ, if you do not know Jesus, then we should expect ample amount of fear, right? We should expect the world to be freaking out, to be scared, to be afraid, because what this coronavirus is doing, if anything, is showing us that we actually are not in control. And in the West and in America, and particularly in the Raleigh area, you know, things are pretty well for us. We have a lot of modern conveniences and a lot of technological advances that most of human history hasn't had. And so it can be easy for us to think that we are in control of our lives, that we can do whatever we want to do, uh, that things like uh, death or unplanned uh, or scary scenarios don't really impact us because everything that we want typically happens the way that we want it to happen. And what this is showing us is the reality of the situation that we are not in control. Again, followers of Jesus, this is not news to us. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should very well be afraid because this virus is showing us the reality of life, that it is outside of our control, that we are not God, and that we cannot control it. I'm example that I'm encouraged and I'm reminded about this idea of what does it look like to live with courage, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of a life being crazy, if you've been a part of New City for a while, we have a family, David and Danielle Flannery, who were with New City for the first 18 months of our existence, and in, in, in which they moved to Italy.
cafes or food stores that are open one hour a day, complete lockdown. And when this lockdown was announced, uh, David and Danielle and their kids, some of them were, were actually not, they were visiting people outside. They were in southern Italy. They weren't in the lockdown zone. And I think many of us would say, oh, if this part of Italy is getting in lockdown, I'm going to make sure I don't return back home so that I can feel safe, so that nothing can happen to me. But as missionaries, as followers of Christ, what do they do? They said, we're going to drive back to our house, to our apartment before this lockdown happens so that we can be with our community, we can be with our neighbors in this difficult time. What's happened there is because that they know, they're reminded that in Christ that God can use even the most difficulty of cir- difficult of circumstances, use us to make a big difference. They said, I'm going to go right where this virus is. I'm going to go back home so that I can be in lockdown with my community and serve them in any way that they can. See, this is what the gospel is, right? The gospel is the good news of what Christ has done for us, that he's in control of all things, that he is king of all things, that he is over all things. So nothing happens outside of his control because God is perfect and righteous and holy. And all of us, even if we're not quite sure about this God thing, would admit that we have done things that even we would say were wrong. If God is perfect and holy and exists, then clearly we have fallen short of his standard. And the gospel is the good news that because God loves us, in spite of us, even though we fall short, even though we blow it, even though we can't earn it, he sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves so that anyone even in the midst of doubts and the uncertainties of lives, who follows Jesus and just admits their human condition, that they do not have it all together, can experience a relationship with him. And so if you're in Christ, you and I are on the winning team, even when life gets hard. And so that uh, courage can help us face these uncertain days, weeks, maybe months ahead uh, with courage. I'm also reminded about what Jesus says in John chapter 16. He's with his disciples. It's kind of the, the last supper, the night that he is going to be betrayed. And he's explaining the things that are going to happen and they're confused. They don't quite understand it. And he's talking about how he's going to leave them for a while. He's going to die and he's going to resurrect. And, and they're confused. They don't understand like, what do you mean he's gonna, you're going to leave for a while? And so this is what John, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 16, verses 19 through 22, it says this. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, so referring to his disciples. And so he said to him, or he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. So he knows they've been talking about this. What did he mean by this? And so he's addressing their question. Verse 20, Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she, is no, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. So he's saying you're going to experience some difficulties. Again, they don't completely understand, but what he's referring to is his death, burial, uh, and his, uh, his, his sacrifice on the cross. He said you're going to experience joy and it's going to be hard. The world's going to celebrate because Jesus has been killed. The religious leaders of the day feeling like they're going to stop what he was doing. They're going to celebrate. You're going to be sorrowful, but it's only going to last a while. And then in verse 33, a little bit later on, he says this. He said, I've told you these things so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. 
In other words, he's saying, you have suffering. Now, in this instance, he's talking about specifically the, the, the few days that he was going to uh, be dead before he resurrected, but also after he left, they were going to experience suffering. And even you and me today, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we can experience suffering or just the regular human beings living in a broken world that God is going to one day uh, return and make new and perfect again. But until that time, you, know, I, you and I, all of us, live in a broken and fallen world. And what Jesus is saying is be courageous not because you have it all together, not because you're awesome, not because you can control life on your own. You can't. Why should we be courageous? Because he has conquered the world. Again, this does not guarantee that everything in our lives will go the way that we want them to go, but we know that nothing surprises God, that he can use even the most difficult of circumstances for his good. And he can use even the unknown and the fear-laden society that we are currently experiencing now because of the coronavirus, that he can use courageous men and women who are followers of him to show the world what it looks like for those that have been transformed by Jesus. And so some of the things that we can do, maybe the most practical thing that we can do right now is pray. We can be praying for the, uh, those who are affected by the virus that we absolutely should. This should not just be something that we post about on social media or that we do flippantly one morning because we were, we were scared. That We should actually genuinely play, pray for the people who are affected by this virus, those who are becoming ill and the health workers that are fighting it. We should also pray for the virus to slow down and for people to be healed. So we should pray for those affected and for those to be healed and that the virus would slow down uh, those that it's impacting. We should also pray that God would use us, that God would use us believers, all followers of Christ, to bring life to those far from him. Because Christ does not come to bring behavior modification, he comes to bring life. And so we as followers of Jesus can show that life and that love to other people. And so we should pray for those opportunities. And ultimately in all of this, we should pray that the hope of Jesus would shine in the midst of the darkness. We should pray that the hope of Jesus should sh- would shine in the midst of the darkness. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, again, Paul writes this in verse 13. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. He's talking about there those who have died, those who have perished, those who are no longer living on this earth. He's saying we should not grieve like the rest of the world. What he's not saying is that we should not grieve at all. He's not saying that we can't be concerned or uh, impacted by the difficulties of life, particularly in this situation. He's talking about uh, those that those that they knew that have passed away. But in our circum- circumstance, we can talk about the coronavirus and how it's infecting and impacting so many people that we can grieve of what's happening, but we should not grieve like the rest of the world. Why? Because we have hope. We have hope that this is not the end, that this does not define us, and that God is still good and in control. And this virus, if anything, is showing that we cannot do this on our own. And so we can pray towards this end, that God somehow, some way, would use this virus to draw us closer to him, and give us practical and tangible opportunities to love the communities around us. You know, what's interesting to me, about six months or so after my father uh, passed away or uh, died of a suicide, I was meeting with uh, someone whose brother also committed suicide, you know, shortly, you know, within about six months after my dad. And so he reached out to me because he had heard what happened. He asked if I could meet. 
So we met, met, we had dinner, and we were talking about things, and, and he was talking about how, uh, how much regret he had for, towards his brother, and that he should have known, and how did he not see this coming. He talked about the anger he had. He talked about the, the questions that he had, the doubts that he had, the confusion that he had. And to this day, I'll never remember, I'll never forget that conversation, because uh, I was still, you know, I was depressed. I was going through a lot of, experiencing a lot of the same similar things as losing, uh, as, as I lost my father to a suicide. And I remember leaving the conversation, distinctly remembering the difference between me and this guy who also had experienced suicide. We both were sad. We both were, you know, dealing with questions and doubts and uncertainties and wonderings and thinking, man, what could I have done differently if I had only done this? If I had only been there, then this wouldn't have happened. We were both dealing with that. But this guy uh, was filled with so much more despair uh, even in the depression that I was experiencing, he was experiencing it more than I, than I was. And the despair, the angry, the pain, the confusion, we were ex- both experienced similar situations. But how we were doing, our reaction to it were completely different. And it's not because I was some, uh, somehow more mature than he was or somehow was not affected any less. I was majorly affected by losing my father. The only difference between me and him was that I had, knew, and experienced Jesus and he had it. And so he had nothing to go off of except for confusion, doubt, anger, regret, doesn't know what's going to happen, doesn't, doesn't know where his brother is anymore. The only difference between him and I was Jesus. Because I had Jesus, I knew Jesus, I was still struggling. At that point, point I was still depressed. I still had my own questions. But I wasn't where he was because I knew this wasn't the end. And on top of that, not only were I, was I not where he was because I had experienced Jesus and I knew Jesus, but part of the difference between his story and mine is that as a follower of Jesus, as a part of a local church, we had so many friends and, and people in our church that came around our family and loved us and served us and cared for us and practically and tangibly were Jesus in the flesh for us and how they responded. So not only did I know Jesus and have my hope in him, but I experienced the love of God through his people. And this is what we have the opportunity to do here and now. That you and I, maybe if you're a follower of Christ, know God, have experienced God, but we can also use that and use that love to care and serve for other people. So tangibly, let me give you two ways that you could possibly do this. One, in your neighborhoods or wherever the communities in which you live, if you have a Facebook uh, group, maybe a, a ne- the next door app, however you guys communicate together, one of the best things you could do is you could say, hey, is there anybody in my neighborhood who needs help running errands, who needs help uh, going to the grocery store, who maybe you're older or you have health issues, no questions asked, who can I help and serve and see what they say? In addition, uh, uh, here at New City Church, we are uh, uh, partnering with and trying to serve a 55 and older community in the Briar Creek area of Raleigh. And so if you want to be a part of that, of helping an elderly community that is very afraid uh, and scared, as rightfully so, uh, to go out for health reasons, if you would like to join us in being paired with different uh, households and different people that need help, again, you can send me an email, dylandotson at newcityrdu.com, and we will include you in our efforts, not just to pray, but to tangibly go out and serve those who need it. See, we have the opportunity not just to be rest assured in our own personal faith, but to show the world that Jesus changes everything and that we can have hope and assurance in him no matter what may happen. Uh, As I come to an end here, what's interesting to me 
talking about this idea that Jesus changes everything. Again, my friend, the guy that I knew who also was struggling with suicide, our reactions and where we were were so different only because of what Christ had done and that I had a relationship with him. I'm reminded of something I saw on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago because, of course, all best things that you can learn are on Twitter. And it was this atheist meme, essentially, and it was talking about, had this massive picture of the universe, and it was like broken up into sections. So I had the universe, and then it had it broken up into one section that said, this is pointing with an arrow, pointing at God's favorite solar system, in quotes. And then it had the, it zoomed in on the solar system, and then it had pointing another arrow saying God's favorite galaxy, in quotes. And then in that galaxy, it had zoomed in with another image, and it pointed to the earth, and it said God's favorite planet. And the, and the point of this meme was to joke around and say, do you think God actually cares how big and how vast and how massive the universe is? You think, you Christians think that God actually cares about you. And, I, and the reason I saw it, because somebody had res- responded by saying something so awesome. He said, this is why we sing. This is why as believers, we sing and we worship and we follow Jesus Because as we look at this massive universe, we don't see a God who struggles to make it. We don't see a God who is so busy with everything going on that surely he's got way too much to think about than to care about mere human beings. What we actually see through scripture, that God is more powerful and mighty and vast than we can imagine. And by the sound of his voice, he created everything. And he created everything because he wanted to create beings whom he could love and give his life and himself for. You see, God is not, he's not too busy for us. He's not too, has too many things going on for us. He is incomparably great and powerful and all-knowing. And he loves us so much that he created this massive universe that many of us will never explore. We will never see simply because he can. And what did he do? In the midst of all of that, he creates men and women like you and me simply out of love and delight for us and desires for us to have a relationship with him, not so he can control us, not so he could make sure we do the things that he wants us to do and not do the things that he doesn't want us to do, but for us to experience only the love and goodness and grace that the God of the universe can provide. And so we follow Jesus not out of obligation. We follow Jesus not because it's the right thing to do. We follow Jesus because he created this massive universe simply out of love and delight and gave his life for us so that we could experience him. And so again, as we go these next days and weeks and months, as we see the uncertainty, maybe the virus gets worse, maybe it stays how it is for a while, maybe it gets better at some point, that you and I in Christ do not have to be afraid But you and I in Christ do not have to be scared about what's going to happen next. It could very well be that some people will be impacted. It could very well be that some people may die. It could very well be that that this goes over sooner rather than later. But whatever happens, we know who wins. We know whose we are. And we know what will end up ultimately happening to us. That one day we will get to stand before Christ and be invited into his kingdom. Where there's no more viruses there's no more pandemics, there's no more fear, there's no more scarcity, there's no more lying, or che- there's none of that. That we get to be invited into God's perfect kingdom, not because of us, but because of him. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we face the uncertainty of the days and weeks ahead that God loves you, that God cares for you, and that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. 
And so let's go out in our communities. Let's pray for our communities. Let's love those who are in need. And if you have any needs, please, again, let us know at New City Church. We want to do everything we can to love RDU well in this time. And until next time, I hope you're well.